Case 22-3462, David Seracy et al. versus J.M. Smucker Company. Argument not to exceed 15 minutes per side. Mr. Mendenhall, you may proceed for the appellants. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you. Um, Your Honors, my name is Warner Mendenhall. I represent David Seracy, Carla Grossjean, Andy Regg, Megan Moore, and Joseph Adams, all Smuckers Corporation employees, all long-term employees, all with almost perfect uh, employment records, uh, all of whom requested religious exemptions to the vaccination, and all of which are no longer working at Smuckers Corporation. Smuckers is a federal contractor. Just one uh, brush-clearing question. The Title VII claim is where? Is it being exhausted? Is that what's going on now? Yeah, the the employees have filed, some of them have filed Title VII claims. Others have not in this mix here. I can tell you that... It's all right. So anyway, that that's... It's in front of the EEOC right now. Is, is there are some in front of the EEOC. That's correct. I got it. Um, and, I, and my understanding, I talked to Andy Regg. He has actually settled his claim, by the way, of these appellants. So we do have one that has settled in the meantime. So I want to let the court know about that. But Smuckers is a federal and a military. I'm not sure what exactly you meant by that last point. But if you're formally saying one of the plaintiffs is no longer plaintiff, that requires a filing. I know it does. This okay. just happened recently. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, don't think what you just said. I understand. Dealt, dealt with that. You I, need to tell us formally. I, I understand. Thank you. So Smuckers is both a military contractor uh, and a federal contractor as well. They provide millions of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for military prisons and schools. Their contracts are about 125 million dollars a year. Um, so. This, this corporation is very dependent on its federal contracting, and it's very concerned about keeping and maintaining those, feder- those federal contracts. So you said $125 million in revenue from the federal contract? From the federal contract. What's the total revenue of the company? I'm not sure, Your Honor. I think it's close to a billion dollars, but I'm not sure what the total revenue is. I'm guessing neither point is in the record. Is the 125 in the record? Uh, I'm not sure that that is in the record, Your Honor. But what is in the record is that they are a federal contractor. Yeah. I'm just trying to emphasize the the um, that this is very important. Why you didn't sue the federal government? I mean, I'm just curious. I'm sorry. Why not sue the federal government? Well, I I think it's very important that because they're 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 obviously a government. That's a government, right? Sure. It's understandable that you could bring federal constitutional claims against the government. Your Honor, I think it's very important that we, when corporations are acting in conjunction with the federal government, coerced by the federal government, or substantially encouraged by the federal government to carry out a federal government policy, that that they are identified as having stepped into the shoes of the federal government, just like in the Adikis case. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of making a, a little slightly more basic point. I'm just curious. You don't have to tell me all your strategy, but. Lawyers are known for having plans B and C. You wouldn't have been the first person to plead in the alternative, let's put it that way. And so I guess I'm just curious sure. why you wouldn't also sue the federal government because that would simplify. You'd, get, you'd be able to make your challenge either way. Do you see the point I'm making? Uh, In other words, your concern is about how 
this federal mandate and the religious exemption is being implemented. Yes. And surely some of that starts with the federal government. It right? They're the ones that created the mandate with the exemption. So I just, I'm just puzzling a little bit as I work through the case why you wouldn't sue the federal government because then you don't have a state action problem, right? We wouldn't. I, Your Honor, I actually don't. I consider this a, an opportunity, not a, not a problem, to okay. clarify this relationship between the federal government and the corporations in this country. This entwinement. That so we, the goal is to straighten out the law and not win? No, no, the goal is to win, but we need to be clear that corporations, when they're entwined like this, when they're coerced or when they're encouraged substantially by the federal government, that that's bad behavior by our corporations. They need to be, they need to be separated from the federal government and not aligned always with the federal government, whatever the president says. This, this court just had a ruling, Kentucky v. Biden, and it really shows how the federal government did victimize our companies uh, across the United States uh, by these mandates. But what happened then is the companies then victimized their employees by requiring at the time, this was an experimental you know, shot under a DOD contract. It was a DOD uh, uh, prototype shot. So the, why is the, the, victim, the companies that are then victims, how can they then become victimizers, which they did in this case, victimizing their own employees, mandated an, an emergency use only shot? That's what I'm concerned about. And, and we need to straighten up that relationship. So this relationship is so You're more important. concerned about the mandate than the ex religious exemption? Well, everything flows from the mandate. Um, the mandate comes down and... What happens then is the employees have to go through a process of asking for exemptions, which I don't think they should have even had to do it, but they had to do that for the exemptions. Let me they had ask you about that, because I couldn't tell from your complaint exactly what process Smucker afforded with respect to a religious exemption. Um, can you just... Do you know what, what, I, what the I process was? I do to an was? extent. I mean, understand, obviously, this went out on a 12B6, so we're, right. we didn't get into this. What I'm trying to understand is, did they afford the process that the mandate required, or were they more, was it a more summary procedure than what the federal government was envisioning for the for the exemption. No, my you know my understanding, and as we alleged in the complaint, is there was these folks went through an interrogation basically by the company about their religious beliefs. But understand, I'm looking at it from a level of generality. Before that, are you alleging that was mandated by the by the vaccination mandate itself as to what the process would be that they would go through? One of my points is that the mandate itself forced them to reveal their religion, go through the interrogation. These are things that they shouldn't have had to go through in the first place because the mandate was illegal, and the well, company so, shouldn't have so, been... So we, ha we have that point. Um, just in response to Judge Bush's question, I mean, how do you understand the federal side of it to work when it comes to the employers? How much does it say to them about how they handled, implement the exemption? We know they ultimately have the choice. I think we're all on the same page there, but I'm really curious what the answer to Judge Bush's question is. Was there guidance in how you do it, or did or well, it just simply, there's a religious exemption, the company's in charge of it, period? Your Honor, this went out on a 12B6. No, no, but the, this the, is law. These are, all law. these are all things that could be in rules, I, guidance. I understand that. And I'm just curious if you know it. If you don't know it, 
say I don't know it. No, but this is an important point. We didn't get to discovery. We do suspect, because we've seen it in other cases, that there were financial incentives to get people to a certain amount, you know, to get to 90% VAX rate in your company. We, we need to have discovery to find out what the communications were with the federal government. What were the financial incentives? This went out on a 12B6. If this were here on summary judgment, that would be different. Totally got your point. Yeah. I still want to know if you know. Are there any rules, guidances by the federal government? You, we're on the same page that that is not something you get through 12. Rule 12B6. 6. I don't it's know. called doing the research. Yeah, I don't, don't know I, of it. Okay. I don't know those. I don't know what communications were there, and I don't know what rules were there, except that the federal government did allow for religious and medical exemptions. That's in the okay, rule. So let's say there's no guidance, and your answer to Judge Bush's question is I don't. they did it in a – no, no, no. Now we're in a different thing. You're alleging that they did it in a summary basis – no. You called it an interrogation? It's not a summary basis, but it is an interrogation. But I think that itself is a violation of your religious rights to have to go through this interrogation over an illegal... And your manner. allegations about the interrogation are what? I mean, what, what does the complaint say about the... Other than the word interrogation, what does it say specifically in the complaint? Because this is all obviously stuff you have. It's on, it's on page, uh, it's on paragraph 56. We just, we, we, we had talked to our clients about the interrogations that they went through. We allege that they were interrogated. That's what we say. Okay. We haven't fleshed out. We don't have copies of any recordings that Smuckers may have made. We don't have any notes that the interrogators well, I, I may have made. I wouldn't go down that road because you have, <laughs> you can talk to your clients, <laughs> right? They were there, so they can, That's how you, they describe they, they can it. tell you what happened and you can say it. But anyway, it says interrogation, so fair enough. All right. Well, you know, one of your problems may be uh, you don't say or don't plead how what percentage of uh, the revenues of Smuckers is attributable to uh, these contracts um, with the federal government. And uh, I think Chief Judge Sutton may have been alluding to this earlier. Um, I know the case went out on 12B6, but you also didn't put that into your your complaining your pleadings so um, um, if you want to show that the federal government was controlling the decision making of smuckers seems as though you would need to uh, 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 plead what percentage of revenues or what what the specifically what the financial situation and uh, would be in terms of the relationship between Smuckers and the federal government. And I'm not sure you've really presented that. Your, Your Honor, if you look at our exhibits, I think it's clear in the exhibits that, uh, that they are very worried about their federal contracts and that they need to comply with these federal contracts to get these and future federal contracts. So I believe it's an Exhibit 2. Uh, yeah, it says broad definition of federal contractor applies to existing and new contracts, and it, it and they want their business to thrive. That's what's in the exhibits. Well, that that, that may be so, but there's case law that says that in these kinds of situations you have to show what the financial magnitude of the control happens to be to show that the action was in response to the uh, uh, coercive. Uh, uh, relationship, a contract with the federal government, and you don't really have that in your 
pleadings. Well, Your Honor, again, I believe it's because of how this was dismissed under 12b-6, obviously that would be part of our exploration and discovery in terms of how, how uh, comprehensive these contracts are, how important they are to the income of the company. Well, I know that, but it's not in your complaint, um, um, that, that, that kind of information. I, Your Honor, with all due respect, I think the exhibits show how important it was to Mark Smucker to keep these federal contracts. It was critical to them. Okay, well, you'll get your full rebuttal. Let's hear um, Thank you very much. Ms. Uh, Stratford. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Tracy Stratford from Jones Day on behalf of the J.M. Smucker Company. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you. As the court is well aware, the J.M. Smucker Company is a private company, publicly traded, is not the government. It does have government contracts, that's true, but that's the extent of its link to the government, government contracts, like many, many, many corporations in America. The crux of the appellant's argument here is that they were denied their First Amendment rights because their request for religious exemption wasn't handled the way that they thought it should be handled. They're actually not just out of curiosity, do you have any sense to the thing we were about the point we were discussing earlier, whether there was guidance or rules about how companies were supposed to implement this free exercise exemption? I do, Your Honor. In the complaint at um, paragraph four, there's a footnote, and the footnote is a link to the website of the task force that issued the guidance. If you go to that website and look at the guidance, the extent of the guidance is a covered contractor should review and consider what, if any, accommodation it must offer. So not much. But there is guidance there. I suspect, if I'm allowed to speculate for just a minute, that the guidance didn't go further than that because, as the court knows, the executive order was actually never fully implemented. It was ultimately challenged by the courts, and the courts ultimately stayed the order, nothing ever happened. And so that guidance never had to be developed any further than it was. Smucker did not act according to that guidance at all because, as the court also knows, it instituted its policies, notwithstanding the government's policies were stayed. And so it was acting of its own accord, of its own free will, not pursuant to a mandate. Is that true at the time uh the plaintiffs lost their jobs? Uh, yes, sir. December 15th. It had already been, it already been stayed. Correct. Uh-huh. Correct. But didn't um, Mr. Smucker make reference to the mandate as sort of a justification for why the company was doing what it was doing? Um, so, sort of, Judge Bush. What he said is he said, we had anticipated that we were going to have a vaccine expectation and that we would work with you all as our partners at the company to implement that and the timing of it. The executive order comes out, and Mr. Smucker says, based on this order, we're going to fast-forward everything. We're going to go from an expectation to a mandate faster than we thought we would. That's the extent of it. When it became clear that the executive order was not going to go forward, when it was stayed, Smucker didn't pull back. They didn't change any of their policies. They continued forward as if nothing had changed, because in their minds, nothing had changed. The exhibits to the complaint, exhibits one and two, make clear that Smucker had multiple reasons for doing what it was doing. One of those reasons was it wanted to comply with what the government wanted it to do. There's no doubt about that. That's absolutely clear. 
But the what it wanted it to do is the key here. And I think we have to focus on that because the act that is alleged to have caused the injury here is not the institution of the vaccine mandate itself, but the way that the exemptions were handled. That's the crux of the complaint. That's the crux of the First Amendment injury that's alleged. That's not what the executive order mandated. The executive order actually says the opposite of what the plaintiffs are arguing here today. If you look at paragraph five of the complaint, they actually allege that the task force guidance called for federal contractor employees to receive a complete round of COVID-19 injections by January 18th, 2022, unless legally entitled to an accommodation for medical or religious reasons. So in fact, the government didn't tell Smucker, didn't coerce Smucker to not provide religious exemptions. It did the exact opposite. And unless the government coerced Smucker to do something that violated the First Amendment, you can't have government action on behalf of Smucker violating the First yeah, Amendment. Yeah, but I mean, their, their point would be you wouldn't have had this little debate had you not had the mandate. So, I mean, I guess... That depends on how you define the, man the mandate, Judge. If the mandate is from the government, we would have had this debate. And that's because Smucker had already established the vaccine expectation and was on a path toward a mandate on its own. If, that's, if the mandate is from the government, then we know Smucker's decision existed before the government order and continued after the government order was stayed. If the mandate is the existence of, of what Smucker was going to do, then it had intended to, um, to accommodate religious exemptions all along. That was part of what was taking so long, was just trying to determine how it was going to address medical issues and people who had religious objections. What, what's your take on the, you know, we judges sometimes don't do the best job clarifying things with our different formulations of tests, and I don't know if this is one of them or not, but one of the inquiries is, I think it sometimes goes under the word coercion, um, and, and when you are able to show coercion, you're able to show state action or some form of state action, isn't that a little bit in tension with the cases that say um, complying with federal law does not create state action? I mean, I would have thought federal law says do something. I don't know how you could describe that as anything other than coercive, because if you don't do it, presumably there's a penalty. Do you, do you have a sense for what they're getting at with those, that problem? I have a sense, and I agree that there's a tension there. The case law is very clear that simply complying with the law doesn't mean that you were coerced. Um, but there are also cases that suggest that by acting under color of law that that's sufficient to be a state actor. If you look carefully at the cases that, that simply look at whether someone's acting under color of state law as being sufficient and, and whether or not the laws that exist are sufficient to, to compel somebody such that they are a state actor, those cases tend to be in extreme circumstances in which there is some sort of joint action between the actor and the government. And while the test isn't articulated that way, the facts often come out that way. For example, that addicts case that, that uh, appellant's counsel just referenced. In that case, what we, you had was you had the, the diner that was, was um, trying to throw out the patrons because they were mixed race eating together. And so the, the issues there, the facts suggested, at least they had been alleged, that the, the, the owner of the diner was in cahoots with the police and they were wrestling people out of there 
under color of law. And so because there was some sort of a, there was a conspiracy alleged and there was joint action that existed, that seemed to overcome and be enough to be coercive in that Do you remember if the police and the diner were sued? They... Or the diner and the police were both sued? I believe they were in that case. Okay, and so the question, no one had a problem with the police because they were engaged in the discrimination. Then the question was whether the diner could be held responsible almost... Correct. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Now, as you correctly point out, the test is not articulated that way. But if you look to the each case and you look at the facts, the facts do seem to be something more than simply complying with the law mm-hmm. in each and every instance. And so when you look to this case, what you see is nothing more. What is alleged is actually pretty skinny. Most of what appellant's counsel said to start is not in the complaint at all. What's alleged is simply that there was an executive order and that Smucker put out some guidance saying, hey, we're going to comply with this order. That's it. There's no further tie. I don't see how that's possibly enough. Every corporation in America that complies with the law is a state actor under the test he's articulated. If this pleading, if this complaint is sufficient, there is no daylight between being the government and a state actor for purposes of the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, or anything else. What about the theory of um, the percentage of your revenue being relevant to um, whether it's coercion or not? Do you do you believe that if it's a sufficiently high enough percentage of revenue of a company that that could lead to coercion? I don't, Your Honor. I don't. And I think that's because economic incentives aren't the same as coercion. Otherwise, we're all sort of coerced to be in our jobs, right? And I don't think that's the case. It's got to rise to something else. I'm not aware of any cases, certainly, that look simply to how tied you are based on economics. And, is there, and there's case law, I believe, saying that merely being a government contractor doesn't establish the conspiracy that you're talking about from this diner situation. That's exactly right. In fact, this court decided the Thomas versus Nationwide case a few years ago. And in that case, that's the case where the Nationwide Children's Hospital, the um, the parents of children who had been allegedly abused were suing Nationwide Hospital saying, you're a state actor, you ran additional tests, you're govern- you get funding from the government, and you're required to report child abuse to the government. And for all those reasons, you should be able to be sued as a state actor, and you violated the Fourth Amendment when you ran these additional tests on our children. And in that case, this court wrote that it's not sufficient to simply be regulated by the government or to get funding by the, from the government. And so I would suggest that being tied to the government in that way, economically tied to the government. So even if all the revenue of Smuckers came from a government contract, you would say that still wouldn't be enough? It wouldn't be coercion. It, there certainly would be a strong tie. And maybe there's an argument that there's, they're intertwined at that point. And that's another test that the, court, the Supreme Court's articulated is the... I think it, maybe I'm getting the, the word the, wrong. So that means all these defense contractors, that's their whole business? They're all state actors? They're not state actors. I know. That's, that's why I'm puzzled by this. No, they, they can't be. There's that, like I said, Your Honor, then there's no daylight. There's no daylight. That's all they the do. Some of them, that's all they do is sell military equipment, make it, and sell it to the U.S. So that would suggest, as your original point, that the percentage of revenue doesn't really matter. 
it can't it, it could be a factor i suppose if you were balancing factors and trying to understand the weight of the coercion well they were under the same mandate i'm sure and i just can't imagine a world in which they have a it's a different rule for grumman from smuckers i, I don't see it that, that would be astonishing well, and, and then the rule would apply to every other corporate, well, I shouldn't say every other corporation, but many, many other corporations in America. Smucker's not the only company that serves both the public and the government. It's an extreme so just, just one other um, auditioning idea that I haven't quite figured out is sometimes those cases, these coercion, compliance with law cases, seem to be Sometimes the question is whether you're trying to get at the private company. Sometimes the question is whether you can treat the private companies as an agent for the government and therefore make the government responsible for what the agent did, which I think is what's going on in a Dickies and maybe in Bloom. I'm not positive, but I think that's what that's how they were using this. That's not how this is. That's not how this case comes to us. Correct. Correct. And and. Both Bloom and Adickies are the same, you're correct. That is So why isn't that the way to think about it? In other words, that form of coercion doesn't create this problem with compliance with law is usually coercive. That's that's a doctrine designed to let you sue the federal government. Well here you would agree they can sue the federal government. They don't need your help. Um because they're the ones that created the well, if you have any bright ideas after the argument about this, feel free to file a supplemental letter. But this has been making my head spin. Uh, candidly, you're on our mind, too. And the cases just don't – there's not a way to sort them out to see where the lines are drawn. I think. Well, no, no, no. Don't give up. No, the, the, <laughs> that is not what we do here. <laughs> We're going to find something, and you're going to help us. So try this one. It was an audition. You can you can pop it, the bo- the balloon, but I – I don't know. There has to be a better way to write this. I think that's probably right. I'll think harder about it. Well, if there are other questions from the panel, I appreciate your time, and I would ask that you affirm the district court. Okay, thank you very much, Ms. Stratford. Mr. Mendenhall, you've got some time. And you're free to tell us a theory that works, I, and even one that helps your client. And I take it you're, you're only arguing the coercion theory as a basis for well, being established. You know, I think coercion is the wrong word, actually. Okay. It's substantial encouragement. Now, let's remember, there's two parts in that sentence in those cases. If you look at Bloom versus Juretsky, it's coercion or substantial encouragement. That's what we have here is substantial encouragement of our military, our federal contractors. Do you understand the point I was making, that those were cases where they were using the action of private entities, a doctor deciding where someone goes, mm-hmm. to treat it as state action for purposes of suing the government. In other words, they were working together. That's not what's going on here, because we, we agreed at the outset, you could have just sued the federal government. And, and, and plenty of people did it, Kentucky v. Biden and, and many, many other cases. But I think what's interesting here is when we have companies that are violating fundamental rights based on substantial encouragement by the federal government. That's the problem here. These companies need to be aware of the fundamental rights that their employees have in their place of employment when they're imposing a federal mandate in a way that violates the First Amendment, your religious rights. It may be something else next year, but for now, this is what we've got. So these companies. Like your theory is so broad, you're kind of opening up any government contractor to being sued as a state actor. Where, no. What's your limiting principle? 
Well, I, I mean, I think the limiting principle is the fundamental right. We have never had companies imposing medical procedures on employees in my lifetime. We need to recognize how extreme this is, how extreme this mandate is. I think this court has actually done that in the case it decided yeah, a couple exactly. of weeks ago. We're not ago. the ones you should be complaining to. We're doing a pretty good job on this point. You're, well, you are doing a good job on it, but... But we need our companies to understand that employees don't just come in and relinquish all their rights when they open up the company door. And when that company's... We, we, listen, we get that broader point. I mean, you can keep saying it. It's okay. your time. But we're trying to figure out... Judge Bush is asking this. So take the defense contractor. It's 100% of their work is building military equipment for the United States government. That's all they do. So that's a 100% situation. Do we really think of everything they do as state action? That seems really surprising to me. So someone wants to talk at a meeting and the, the manager says, no, free speech violation. I think that the limiting principle is when these companies are going into really non-traditional areas such as medical treatment when they're not medical companies, for one. This is really different. When, you, when you're treating your employees as if, well, and where does it stop? Well, you they can, give out, would, they give out uh, health insurance uh, employers do, and uh, the insurance they make available covers some things but not other things. So the, the, the corporate world has been integrally um, uh, uh, involved with determining the health care of uh, employees and their health care choices uh, um, um, for decades and decades. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I understand the point. Uh, well, you you were making the point that uh, 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 these companies can or shouldn't get involved with uh, certain areas of uh, employees' uh, uh, life or lifestyle, uh, and shouldn't shouldn't engage in coercive action with in some areas including such as uh, healthcare, including healthcare, and 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 they already have. Uh, been doing that quite lawfully and legitimately uh, uh, virtually forever. You know, I don't think providing a health care policy to its employees is, is the same kind of coercive action as what we have here where you're mandating an experimental shot, which is what it was at the time. It's a very different. It's well, very different. being coercive in that they're making certain health care available and some not, and um, um, providing financial incentives, uh, um, um, premiums are lowered if people don't smoke. Uh, they, they've got all kinds of coercive rules. Well, I mean, let's 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 move it in a different direction. If the federal government said none of your employees, none of the federal employees can get pregnant, none of the ones who are working on federal contracts can get pregnant. We easily recognize that's a, a fundamental right. And in, and in a company, then, to impose that hey, wait, policy... So, well, that's, just, that's a great example, because if the federal government did it, we would very quickly sue the federal government. Absolutely. If the employer did it, we would very quickly use Title VII. You, we have neither option in front of us today. But if the federal government told the, the federal contractors that they had to put this policy in, the net federal contractor is stepping in the shoes of the federal government and should be sued just like the federal government gets sued. I, I agree with you, you that Smucker's in, 
allows you to sue the federal government because Smuckers is acting as an agent. I, I agree with that entirely. And what I'm struggling with is why everything you said makes Smuckers the federal government. That seem, that's, that's the thing that seems difficult. I, I, Your Honors, I am I'm just very concerned at the path we're going down in terms of where, where does it stop? What, where's the medical intervention stop within a company based on these, federal, uh, on these federal mandates? And I think the companies need to understand that they have stepped into the shoes of the federal government and that they are liable just like the federal government. We are doing some Title VII claims. I can tell you right now that those EEOC investigations just ended. The lawsuits well, just got there's filed. There's no point talking about it now. I mean, we know they're there. So um, well, thank you very much thank, for thank your you. argument, for both of your arguments, for your helpful briefs. And as always, we appreciate when you answer our questions. So thank you. Thank you all very much.